Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and I hope there aren't too many typos in the outline. Uh, we've been having a difficulty with the church van. We had the transmission repaired about a month ago, and uh, they cannot stop the leaks. And uh, so I took it down the second time on Tuesday morning or Monday morning and uh, just got it back this afternoon. And uh, if you are driving, is anybody out driving this afternoon? Uh, it is unbelievable and trying to come up the BQE out of Brooklyn and things. So just uh, uh, be patient with the outline, but Lord willing, we'll still have uh, get the message tonight. We're going to uh, zoom in on two verses, Lord willing, verses 14 and 15. Let's just read them. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, if you notice those verses are very similar, it's because they are. Uh, one is the negative, the other is the positive. It's just saying it twice so that there can be absolutely no mistake as to the subject that is being addressed and how it is being addressed. I thought it was rather interesting as Jesus went through these other things that we're dealing with. We've divided the Sermon on the Mount up into, uh, we had issues of the law, the standard of God's holiness. Now we're dealing with issues of worship and Jesus spends quite a bit of time talking about uh, giving your alms and taking up offerings and how you should do that. And then he uh, develops this thing called prayer. And then without any introduction, without any fanfare of any kind, without uh, even so much as seeming to take a breath in our text, he just goes right into this double statement here, uh, saying it once, saying it twice. If God says something once... That ought to make it important, amen? But when he stops and takes time to say it twice, to say it once in the positive, once in the negative, God is really trying to stress a point here. And one of the things that I, I want us to get a hold of is, number one, we're told to pray this way in what we call the Lord's Prayer, what ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. Jesus is teaching us to pray. And remember, you don't pray because you repeat the Lord's Prayer any more than you get somewhere by reading the directions. Or ladies, have you ever made anything, by, made, uh, made a cake or, or uh, some kind of wonderful meal by just reading the directions? It doesn't work that way, does it? You have to live the directions. You have to do them. You have to obey them. That's what the Lord's Prayer is. It is our directions. If, if you like to sew, it's your pattern. If you're an engineer, it's your template or your blueprint. Uh, they can take 
an entire building and fit it on a sheet of paper? No, just the blueprints. You have to go get the steel and put it together and the brick and all of that and follow what's on that one sheet of paper and you can build an entire building from one piece of paper. Jesus said, listen, you can build your entire prayer life from this one template, this one pattern. The word Jesus uses is manner. After this manner, therefore pray ye. And we go to verse 12, and this is what we're told to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Dear God, you forgive my sins against you the same exact way I forgive other people their sins against me. Now that could be a terrifying prayer, could it not? That could be a scary prayer to pray. Especially if you've had a very frustrating day. It could just be a terrible prayer to pray. No. Just as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we're Baptists. Baptists like to eat. Amen? I mean, that's just... And you say, Pastor, you make too much of that. But, you know, we, we want to be able to enjoy life. Amen? That's, that's what it's about. It's about being able to just enjoy the simple pleasures of life. That's why Baptists like to eat. And, and I'll tell you, around here, when we have special dinners and special things, I think we eat fairly well, maybe a little too well. But it won't hurt once in a while to just enjoy life. That's what Jesus said he came to give us. Amen. As we pray that we could enjoy life, we need to pray about forgiving others. We need to maintain forgiveness, maintain that attitude of forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that if you don't work on constantly, that old human nature comes up and starts directing your thoughts and your intents of your heart in directions that are contrary. I mean, we can forgive one uh, another person and yet if we allow our minds and our hearts that, what is the heart? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That deceitful and desperately wicked heart can go back to the graveyard of sins paid for and forgotten and remember every detail and put us through all the trauma and stress that we went through how many ever years ago that that event transpired? That's why Jesus in his prayer says, you've got to pray for that all the time. You've got to continually keep that before the throne. I don't think I've ever read in any textbook on church doctrine, on uh, preparing for the pastorate, on uh, any of these things, a chapter on forgiveness. I mean, there's a chapter on, on uh, prayer. Uh, there's whole books written about prayer. There's whole books 
written about giving. I mean, you turn on some of these television preachers and you would think that was the only thing God was ever interested in was taking an offering. And uh, yet, you'll hear them talk every once in a while about fasting if you really want to become a fanatical nutcase. I mean, fast once. I mean, that's, that's as far as it goes. But when's the last time you heard someone as they're talking about the basic elements of worship to God? Giving, prayer, forgiveness, and fasting. Quite an impressive list that Jesus gives us here. Uh, I think we need to rewrite some of our books. How about you? Uh, this is as much a part of our worship to God as our prayer is. Forgiveness is as much a part of our worship to God as taking an offering. In fact, I'll tell you, if we deal with forgiveness first, and we'll go back to Matthew chapter 5 here in just a minute, it'll be a whole lot easier to pray, and it'll be a whole lot easier to take an offering, and it'll be a whole lot easier to do everything else that we do. Amen? You know, it always gets quiet when you talk about forgiveness. Just gets this. And, and let's understand one thing. You cannot make another person forgive you. You cannot demand forgiveness from another human being. Forgiveness has to come from the person who is offended. Amen? And if a person chooses not to forgive, you cannot reach down into their heart or their life and demand that they do so. You can get the words if you push hard enough or if you manipulate strong enough, but forgiveness is something that only comes from God. Now, have you ever thought about prayer in that light? Well, we say our prayers a lot now, don't we? We talk to God and, dear Lord, please, and I mean, I was praying. It took me two hours to get from 86th Street to... Uh, Atlantic Avenue. And then it took another two hours, no, another hour from Atlantic Avenue driving all the streets up through Brooklyn and Greenpoint and to get home. Uh, I didn't get here until almost quarter to seven tonight. Uh, it was, I was praying, dear Lord, please help me make the right turn. Uh, help me get home. It is bad. I can't, I cannot just can't move on the roads. And I, I, the Lord answered the prayer. He got me here. But when we really pray and get answers from God, is it not because God has put the burden in our heart to pray for that thing in the first place? Now, let's go back and let's talk about giving for a minute. When we give God's way, 
is it not because he has put that desire and that burden in our heart and he is the one that gives us the health and the strength to work and he is the one that gives us what we have so that we can bring it back to him and isn't it the greatest fulfilling part of your life when you give back to God that which he has given you and complete that cycle or that circle of God's working in our hearts and lives. Amen? Prayer is a wonderful thing when it works that way. When we confess our sins, when we get our hearts right with God and we go to God and we get this thing called prayer and then we give it back to God and God answers that prayer, Jesus said, ask that ye may receive that your what? Joy might be full. Forgiveness is not something that comes from within the human, uh, what shall we call it, physiology, psychophysiology, the human experience. Forgiveness is not a human thing. It's like righteousness. If you're going to have righteousness, where do you get it? You go to God, and he gives it to you. Amen? If you're going to get forgiveness, you've got to go to the same place. It's easy to think of God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's blessings upon our lives, but it's a little more difficult when we have to get the practical working of those things. And Jesus said, listen... If you've got God's forgiveness, you've got man's forgiveness or your forgiveness in your heart toward other human beings. One preacher put it this way, if you've got forgiveness vertically between you and God, you have it horizontally between you and other human beings. Uh, that's a nice way to look at it and understand it, but this is, this is what Jesus is simply saying here. He says, listen, I mean, there's not even, he says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I mean, there's really not, other than amen, the period after amen, you take a short breath, Jesus is not stopping here. He's not bringing up a brand new uh, topic. He's not introducing anything. He's saying, listen, if you don't do this, he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, if you forgive people their sins against you, God will forgive you your sins against him. Then he repeats it. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now let's go back here to chapter 5 and verse 21. Jesus here is explaining to us the old time, Moses, God on Mount Sinai. And, and by the way, was Jesus at verse or against the law that God gave on Mount Sinai. I'll go back just a few verses before that. I came not to destroy, 
the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill. And now he says, listen, here's what the old time says, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, I mean, those are some pretty strong statements. And if you'll remember when we went through this months and months ago, um, we spent our time here. Don't worry about the difference between the word raka and the difference between the word fool. That is not the, the point that Jesus is trying to make here. And when you despise somebody in your heart, you haven't forgiven them. And you're in danger of eternal judgment. If you just outwardly curse them, that's what Raka meant, call them a name, slander their character, they might take you to court and get you in trouble over that. But... If you are saying these things in your heart about another person, there's where the issue is. That's the difference between fool and raka. One is just an outward cursing. The other is what you are. It is despising. The word fool means worthless fellow. It means looking at that person and despising them in your heart, when you do that, you can't have forgiven them for the reasons that you think that about them. Angry without a cause? Jesus said, listen, you better fight this anger. How many people have gotten in trouble because of their temper? Would you just raise your hands? Okay. If you're alive... You've gotten in trouble. In fact, guess who now has a temper? You'll never guess. Joseph. He is starting to display his innermost nature. He takes after his mother, I mean his father. <laughs> Just teasing. He takes after the human race. Amen. He is showing that he is, there is a fully developed human being inside that partially developed little body. Now, can anybody here tell me something good that has happened because you got angry? I see some people working really hard, but uh, we'll, we'll save you the effort here. Uh, I don't think you're going to find something. Very, very rarely. So rarely will your temper do you any good. It's best to bury it and forget you have one. Amen? So, so few times will your temper actually do any good. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
let's, let's just not go there. But here's what Jesus said. We go on. It says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, while you're standing in line at the temple to offer your sacrifice, you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, wait a minute. Which way is this working? It doesn't say, and you remember that your brother did you wrong. That he still owes you that six bucks that you gave him when you were five years old and he never paid you back. Uh, it says, if he have ought against thee, if you are the one that did something wrong, you're supposed to leave your sacrifice in line Go take care of that problem and then come back and offer your offering. Isn't that a picture of forgiveness? You see, this sermon is connected. The standards of God's holiness are connected to our worship. If we do not meet the standard of God's holiness in dealing with anger, in dealing with unforgiveness, in dealing with a a spirit of condemnation and despising other human beings, then when we get down here to the issue of worship, as we're talking about our offerings and our prayers, God says, listen, if you haven't taken care of that over there, this over here is worthless. It's no good. I'm not going to accept it. Because I'm not going to accept an outward shell of what you're doing if there isn't a reality that is behind it. This is the difference between true Bible-believing Christianity and religion. People say, what's the difference between your church and all the other churches? I can't talk about all the other churches because I don't have time to go visit them, and if I did, I could spend my whole life writing a book about all the other churches and never get anything right done to serve the Lord. Amen? Uh, The only way I can tell you what's different is how about you show up on Thursday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night, and, and it won't take you long to see the difference. Amen? And it's not just the preacher. It's not just the songs we sing. It's what we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before we come to church. And what we do Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday before we come to church. It ought to be how we live. This is the point that Jesus is making about forgiveness. It is a part of our worship, but it is part of God's standard of holiness. Now, I didn't have time to to go through and put the entire outline that I wanted to put in here tonight, going back to the Old Testament sacrifices and things like this, because there's a lot of pictures and, and illustrations there, but let's just uh, talk our way through here. Um, as you go through the book of Leviticus, you were to it explains the different offerings. When you committed an act of sin, when you broke one of God's laws, what was the first thing that you had to do? Number one, admit that you 
had done something wrong. Number two, you had to value the wrong that you had committed. If it was something dealing with the temple, if somehow um, you had caused there to be a loss or, or uh, a profaning of every, anything that belonged to the temple or the tabernacle, you were to add 20% to the value of whatever you caused to be destroyed. Then you had to bring the appropriate sacrifice to the priest and you had to put your hands on that and make a public confession of your guilt in front of everyone who was at the door of the tabernacle, in front of the priest, in front of God himself, and then the sacrifice had to be consummated. You lost whatever that was, the, worth, the value of that animal or whatever the sacrifice was that you offered. And when that was all done, the Bible says there was forgiveness. You say, boy, if that person who had done that wrong to me were only willing to do that, I think I'd forgive them just like that. But see, you have to understand Forgiveness is based on several things. Number one, it's based on an acknowledgement of guilt. There cannot be true forgiveness without an acknowledgement of guilt. That's why there's so much false forgiveness in the Bible. If a person can't acknowledge what they've done as being wrong they're never going to go through the rest of the process to get forgiveness. And if a person does not obtain forgiveness, they do not obtain heaven. Now that ought to put others' wrong deeds against you in a completely different light. Amen? I don't care what a human being has done. I don't want anyone to go to hell, do you? Forgiveness is based on an acknowledgement of guilt. Forgiveness is always based on a proper and fitting price to be paid for the wrong that is done. If there is no payment, if there was no sacrifice offered, according to the Old Testament law, there was no forgiveness. If you did something wrong, and you were supposed to offer a sacrifice to seek God's forgiveness, and you refused to offer that sacrifice, the Bible says you were to be cut off from Israel. That meant that you were not to be a part. You were not allowed to worship the God of Israel anymore. You were not allowed to be a part of the civil or the religious life. Uh, your family was to have nothing to do with you. That was to be the, you were to be the same as any heathen or a person who was living for the devil against God. Pretty serious stuff, amen? This is the basis and the foundation for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Who was the offended party? Whom do you offend when you sin? Whose laws do we break? 
We break God's laws, do we not? Who's Jesus? He is God. And what did he do? He paid the price that was right for our sins. In fact, the only one that God would accept. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why the Bible puts such an emphasis on admitting. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And so this is the picture of forgiveness. It is based on a payment. We have this perverted, is the best word, uh, ideal of forgiveness that somehow in my magnanimity as a human being, in my goodness, in my ability to rise above uh, your pettiness, I can forgive you for what you've done to me. Can I suggest that that kind of forgiveness is just another word for pride, which is the greatest of all sins in the Scripture? I don't forgive you because I'm better than you are and I'm not going to stoop to your level. I mean, only a Democrat would believe that. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, they believe anything. But stop and think about this. I don't want someone looking down their nose at me saying I'm a better human being than you are. Do you? There are very few things you can do that's more insulting than that. And yet, that is most people's idea of forgiveness. Actually, the best word is blasphemous. How, more, how, how much more blaspheming can you present upon the character of God than to take what he did on the cross and picture it in that light? Here's the application. I have no right to hold against another human being what God is willing to forgive them for. And why is God willing to forgive them? He paid the price. Amen? The only thing that is lacking is their admission of their personal guilt to a holy God and accepting the process that Jesus Christ fulfilled on the cross as the payment for their sin. Amen? That's why Jesus said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad I'm not a Calvinist, I'll tell you that. I'm glad I don't believe only in the elect getting saved. I'm glad that anyone who wants to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. Amen? It gives me hope. I believe... Uh, in anyone, that anyone can get saved if they'll come to Jesus Christ. We'll pray for them until they're dead. Once they're dead, there's no use to pray anymore. It's over. Decision has been made, whatever it is. This is God's forgiveness. Amen? I don't want to be a hindrance to another person coming to forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's the passage that is here.
Now, we look here, and just a couple of points, and we'll kind of try to tie this thing together, and, and then just summarize one more passage, and we'll be done tonight. But going back to Matthew chapter 5, if I do not maintain that proper spirit of forgiveness, my sacrifices and my outward acts of worship are negated by what's going on in my inward life. We also look that we don't want to live a, live a life. You come over here to Matthew chapter 5 and it says, Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time thine adversary... Uh, deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Have you ever met anyone waiting to be justified for their life? When I stand before God, He's going to tell you I'm right. You ever met anybody like that? What an awful way to live, isn't it? It's in direct opposition to what Jesus is preaching right here. But you know, there's an awful lot more people that are waiting for some law to justify them, some court of man. They, they, they walk through life like you owe them something. You ever met anybody like that? Same thing. Here's what the Bible says. Don't live your life waiting to be justified because justification is something that Jesus gives you the moment that you're saved. Amen? And God is not interested in proving that you're right or that you're wrong. God's interested in proving that He's right. Remember when Joshua met the soldier outside the city of Jericho. And he said, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you for them? And he says, nay. But as the captain of the Lord's host, and Joshua kicks off his sandals and falls on his face and worships him. It's a perfect illustration of what God thinks about justifying or not justifying us. He's not interested in that. I, I've met preachers say, well, when we get to heaven, God will prove that I'm right. Well, listen. When we get to heaven, I hope and I pray and I've studied my Bible as hard as I can that what I'm teaching you is the Bible, and if what I'm teaching you is the Bible, well, then I'm right. But it's not right because I say so. It's right before I was even born because it's Bible. Amen? That's the difference between a forgiving heart and an unforgiving heart. That's how it's practically outlined, I mean, out, uh, laid out here in the Scriptures. And it tells us Listen, don't live a life expecting that you're going to be justified either by God's law or man's law. And then we go back to the passage that we talked about, about saying, thou fool, don't live a life cursing others under your breath. How many of you remember that little verse in Ecclesiastes? Let's go there real quick. Ecclesiastes, that little tiny book. 
We often joke, don't read it when you're depressed. Uh, but uh, it is a book that's full of wisdom. If you want to know something from somebody who did everything, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon did everything. I mean, stop and think about it. He built great buildings. He built a huge empire. He managed uh, an incredible uh, commerce. He was, his, he was the wisest. He had all of the education. He made Albert Einstein look like a third grader. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is Solomon's wisdom was far beyond anything that we could stop and, and really comprehend today. Solomon had it all. But, you know, uh, we call him the world's wisest fool because the greatest thing that man can accomplish if it's not lived in obedience to God is worthless. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. But just read verse 20 there, chapter 10. It says, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Don't live your life holding it in, trying to cover up what's really inside. It's going to come out. And if you have a true heart of forgiveness, guess what? You want that to come out. Don't you remember it said, let your light so shine before men? I mean, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. That's, that is really the, uh, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be the salt and the light to the world. That's what God wants us to be. That is the natural result of allowing those things we call the Beatitudes, the blessings of God to work in our life, and we come here, don't go through life trying to cover it up. You know the definition of the word frustration? It is the uncontrollable urge to beat the living daylights out of a person who's desperately asking for it. Boy, that's a good definition. I got it off a counter somewhere. But if you live your life in frustration, can you live it in forgiveness? No. And if you're living in forgiveness, can you live in frustration? No. So why are we frustrated so much of the time? Because we think about prayer and we think about giving and we think about fasting and we think about all these other things but we pass over forgiveness. That's why it's here. Now, very quickly, I'll have you out on time tonight. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll just go through this very quickly. Peter is asking Jesus, how, how many times do I forgive my brother? I mean, this forgiveness thing, how doesn't it have some limits? Uh, how about seven times? Everybody remembers that. And verse 22, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now poor Peter was just gone. 
Lord, how are we going to do that? How am I going to forgive him 70 times 7? I can't even count that high. Yeah, if you're counting, are you forgiving? You see, you let God do the counting. That's what the story is about. 10,000 talents versus 100 pence. Now, I like to break things down as practical as I can in, in everyday figures that actually make sense. A Roman penny was a day's wages. There were 116 Roman pennies in the standard talent of silver. So if you have 10,000 talents, that makes 1.16 million days wages. Uh, if you want to do the math, but it's a lot of lifetimes. That's at the standard going rate. That's our sin against God. And God will forgive you if you'll just ask him. Why? You see, Jesus already paid the price. All we have to do is acknowledge guilt. And the cycle of God's forgiveness can be completed because the price was paid. Amen? But if I actually complete that cycle in my life, I am going to be the most grateful person in the world. He goes out and finds a fellow servant that owes him 100 pence. Remember, that's 100 days' wages. I don't care how you... You can't get 100 days' wages in small claims court. Uh, you're going to have to hire you a slip-and-fall lawyer to take care of that thing. Uh, I mean, it's, it's too big. You can't settle that through arbitration. That's, that's a sum that big's got to go through the regular court system if you're going to recover it. Now, who did that hundred pence really belong to? The man to whom he owed 10,000 talents. Isn't that really whom it belonged to? Yeah. You see, when you don't understand God's forgiveness, it's because you don't have it. Once you really have God's forgiveness, you understand that everything you have and everything you are belongs to God. Amen? And if somebody wants to hurt you and insult you and do horrible things against you, uh, really, that all goes back and sometimes people want to hurt us because of wrong things that we've done. You ever had your past catch up with you? That's not a good thing. But again, who took the debt? Who paid the price? To whom does that belong? It belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? And that's where forgiveness is. And we'll end it with this right here. Verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother, his brother their trespasses. The Lord, the owner, the master there, took the first servant. He said, I rescind your bill. He said, you can go to jail until that 10,000 talents is paid. He would never get out of prison. They'd have to keep his bones there. 
generations. That's why hell's forever. Because you could not accomplish in eternity in hell what Jesus Christ did one afternoon on the cross. Jesus paid the debt. Amen? Don't you try to pay it. You'll never get it done. And if Jesus Christ has paid that debt for your life, guess what? It applies to everybody and everything that has interaction with you, whether it be good or whether it be bad. We've got a day of prayer and fasting coming up in just a couple weeks. And I want us to really pray about this thing. It just hit me like a piece of plaster falling out of the ceiling as I was preparing this message, which has happened on several occasions. I've never preached a sermon on forgiveness being part of our worship. I've read the Sermon on the Mount. I used to be able to quote all, five, all three chapters. Can't do it anymore. Mind isn't quite as sharp as it was when I was younger, but I've studied this passage and never saw that before. It was just astounding to me. I said, whoa, wait a minute. This is part of our worship to God. Let's ask God to change, and I'll tell you what, if the world wants to see the real truth of Christianity, that's where they'll see it first. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we just ask that you would get a hold of our hearts, that you would make us sensitive, that the Holy Spirit would be able to help us to understand how sincerely interested in our forgiveness of other human beings you are. Lord, it's one of the proofs that we have a relationship with the God of heaven. We ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives tonight. Lord, we ask you to do a work in our church. In your name we pray. Before we.